The podcast you are about to listen to is not a medical podcast, nor is it designed to diagnose a condition. While there are medical experts on this show, any questions regarding medical care or concern should be directed to a primary care physician. The team at Invax is dedicated to delivering new personalized immunotherapy approaches to improve outcomes for people living with glioblastoma and other solid tumors. Leveraging decades of validated research and technologies, Invax's unique platform is designed to capture a tumor's full antigen signature and use it to stimulate a patient's immune system against remaining tumor cells. Invax is currently recruiting for a randomized phase 2b clinical trial of IGV-001 in newly diagnosed glioblastoma patients. Learn more about this Phase 2b trial at imvax.com or clinicaltrials.gov. Imvax, advancing a new approach to personalized cancer immunotherapy. Welcome to Game on Glio a podcast that tells the stories of brain cancer warriors, clinicians, medical experts, and those in the grief and loss community. I'm your host, Shannon Traphagen. This season, you will hear unique brain cancer and grief and loss stories, as well as my own journey through grief and loss. If you enjoy our show, please consider writing a review. Also share us with a friend. You can follow us on Facebook at Game on Glio or Instagram and YouTube at Game on Glio Podcast. You can also visit and subscribe to our website at thegameongliopodcast.com for our blog, insights, clinical trials, and guest snapshots. Season three of the Game on Glio podcast is sponsored by GT MedTech and Gametile Therapy. Learn more at gtmedtech.com. And by Imvax, personalized whole tumor-derived immunotherapies. Learn more at imvax.com. This episode is brought to you by Highmark Blue Cross Blue Shield of Western New York. Learn more at bcbswny.com. We have a very inspiring and uplifting episode today. It's an episode that shows all of us that we truly can be strong in the face of exceptional circumstances. Our guest story today gives us a glimpse into a man who is willing to do whatever it takes, whatever it takes, to find better treatments, to fund more research, and to find a cure for brain cancer. But what this interview taught me goes so much more beyond Lance's story about his pursuit in helping the brain cancer community. It truly taught me, and Lance continues to teach me, what it means to have courage, to have fight, and to stand up against all odds. I say this in the wake of some news that I've received from a family member recently that once again puts me in the midst of helping somebody I love immensely fight cancer. It is not brain cancer, and it was caught extremely early, and it is curable. But it's got me thinking about the enormous challenges that so many of us face and the paths that we have to walk. It has been a strenuous couple of years for me. And I was reflecting on our interview today, our guest today, and some of the information that I have recently personally received. It got me thinking about this book that I used to read when I was a kid. It's a book I still read. I read it time and time again. 
It is one of my favorite books. It actually is one of the books that inspired me to become a writer and an author. It's called A Wrinkle in Time by Madeline Langle. In it, there are these kids that have to fight to get their father to bring him home. And there are a couple of phrases, some quotes in it, that I was pondering the other day when I was thinking about this interview. At one point, Mr. Murray, who is helping the kids, says to the kids, there's nothing left except to try. And what he was saying was that when all hope seems lost, at retrieving Charles Wallace from the clutches of the it, he stands strong in the face of their dwindling chances. There's nothing left to do but try, try, try until the very end. And at another point, Miss Whatsit says to the kids, only a fool is not afraid. It's how you channel that fear and what you do next that sets you apart. And those phrases, those quotes from this book ring out for me, given the immense challenges that I have faced in the last couple of years. And the universe just seems to continue kind of lobbing them in our direction. And in the face of the interview that we have today, only a fool is not afraid. We're all built to be fearful, to be scared, to triumph, to have courage, to love, to seek out, to be humble, to be kind. Lance has done an amazing job reaching out, building bridges, bringing foundations together against competitive natures. He speaks out, he speaks up, he speaks often, and he works with heart. No matter the challenges that any of us face, life never promised that it would be easy, but it did promise that it would be wonderful and meaningful and inspirational and colorful and magical. It's a journey. Only a fool is not afraid, but it's what we do next that sets us apart. And all we can do is try, try, try. And you will hear a lot of that in our guest interview today. He's coming up next after a brief word from our sponsor. Imagine waking up from brain tumor removal surgery knowing that your radiation treatment is already underway. That's how gamma tile therapy works. At the end of brain tumor removal surgery, the neurosurgeon implants the tiny gamma tiles where the tumor is most likely to return. So instead of waiting to start daily standard radiation treatments that go for weeks, you get a head start against the tumor cells and get back to your life sooner. For operable brain tumors of all types, including glioblastomas, brain metastases, and meningiomas, gamma tile therapy is a one-time targeted radiation treatment with fewer side effects and far less chance of hair loss than external radiation. Gamma tile therapy is FDA-cleared radiation therapy for patients with newly diagnosed malignant brain tumors and recurrent brain tumors. Gamma tile therapy is tough on tumors and easier on patients and caregivers. Learn more at gammatile.com. Welcome back, everybody. Thank you so much for joining us here on the Game on Glio podcast. Our guest today, Mr. Lance Kawaguchi, started his career as an internationally recognized executive leader and board member with over 25 years of experience in global finance and banking. After losing his mother to cancer, Lance turned his attention toward nonprofit work, 
In 2021, he was appointed as the newest member of the board of the Asian Fund for Cancer Research and was named CEO Magazine's Global 2022 Not-for-Profit Executive of the Year, while also being featured on the cover of the magazine's December issue. As CEO of Cure Brain Cancer Foundation, he heads up a leading organization for brain cancer research, advocacy, and awareness based in Australia. He recently fulfilled a lifelong dream when he was asked to ring the opening bell at NASDAQ's market site in Times Square, a dream for which that was fulfilled of mine when I, on behalf of Game On Glio, got to stand next to him to ring the opening bell. On that historic day, Lance highlighted the importance of global collaboration and the establishment of a U.S. affiliate for Cure Brain Cancer that will widely increase the impact of the organization's mission. We are proud to have him joining us today. Lance, welcome to the show. Thank you very much, Shannon. It's great to be part of Game on Glio. Absolutely. I want to start with, you have such a diverse and rich and enormous background. I mean, internationally, you've, you've lived in multiple continents. You've been all over the globe. You've transitioned into nonprofit work. Let's start with the why. Okay. Why did you get into nonprofit and charity work? Why move into this sector after 25 years in the banking industry? It really goes back to the 26th of May of 2016 when I was living in London, got a phone call from my mother who was my best friend, and I found out that she had stage four cancer and she only had a couple months to live. From that point, from the five months from diagnosis until she passed on the 7th of November of 2016, I went back and forth from London to Hawaii four times. And as a lot of your listeners know, it's a, it's a 20 hour flight. But I was fortunate enough to be with her on her last hours, last, you know, last days and spent quite a bit of good heart to heart time. I remember kind of the, toward the end, she grabbed my hand and I'm the only child. We're best friends. She said, you know, Lance, I'd like you to make three promises to me. Number one, please take care of your dad, because I always thought I would go after him. And being an only child, I said, Mom, I will take care of him. Don't worry about that. Mm -hmm. Second, she said, you've been traveling nonstop for banking, and I'd like you to really balance your life and spend more time with your wife and kids. So I said, got it. We'll do that. And then the third one she said is that at some point, please give back to something bigger than yourself. And I would appreciate if you take at least five years out of your career to give back to social impact. For your listeners benefit, my mother was a school teacher for or educator for about 42 years in Hawaii. Okay. So it was really about taking care of others, playing it forward, doing things to really impact kind of humanity. Mm-hmm. Roll the tape forward from 2016. I did quite a bit of due diligence on different charities. I knew I wanted to focus on cancer to honor my mother. Mm-hmm. And I know I knew I wanted to focus on brain cancer because in many Western countries and in Australia, it's the number one k- killer of children. But also for GBM, which obviously you're very close to, there's not been any treatments in 30 years. The survival rate always hovered around 22 to 23%. If that. If that. So I, th- I thought, I mean, granted, GBM, five years is like 5%. But for me, it was really, if I'm going to do it, I'm going to go all in. Wow. And I want to make sure I can make a material impact. So I selected five organizations globally. And I previously was the oil and gas global head for ANZ, Australia, New Zealand Bank, when I lived in Singapore. And I heard of this charity, Cure Brain Cancer Foundation. 
They had quite a bit of turnover at the leadership, about eight CEOs in the past five years. Wow. I really like things that are either you're building an organization or turning it around. Mm -hmm. Something that's successful, that's, that's easy. To give you a little bit more context, in 2010 and 11, I was the country head for Standard Chartered in Baghdad, Iraq, as a U.S. citizen. So that was a very, very difficult time, mm -hmm. but it was a very rewarding time. So I made a decision after COVID, I was going to start. So January 1st of 2021, I moved to Sydney with my family during COVID lockdown. We were in a quarantine um, hotel for 15 days, wow. you know, had good of time and we started off and that kind of kicked off the two and a half year journey. So you took over Cure Brain Cancer. So it was an established foundation, but with heavy turnover and in need of a new direction. And you decided to really put focus on brain cancer initiatives by taking over that foundation. I know you mentioned that it's one of the leading killers in children, but as you're consciousness grew, as your knowledge base grew about what brain cancer, specifically glioblastoma, the weight of it really is, did that drive you even more now that you have met, I mean, you have met copious amounts of people just as I have. I mean, the number of patients, not even just in children, but young adults mm -hmm. that are battling brain cancer, specifically glioblastoma, it's more than people realize. As you learned more, did that impact your drive in taking over as CEO? Absolutely. So for me, I haven't taken a day off in two and a half years, but I work seven days a week because I try to break down what is this fundamental issues of why brain cancer has not progressed. Mm -hmm. I kind of identified a few things. Number one, it's always consistently the 17th or 18th most diagnosed. So from a volume perspective for pharmaceutical companies, they're going to focus on the bigger, higher volume, the breast cancer, the blood cancers. That's issue number one. Number two, it's the blood-brain barrier. It's very difficult. You know that. Yep. It's very problematic. So what I wanted to do was really try to make sure the organization that I run, I also noticed that from a DNA perspective, non-for-profits, you know this better than me, Shannon, mm -hmm. they don't move as quickly as the community they serve. So I found that there was a dislocation of priorities. Mm -hmm. So the people that I met, roughly 400 you know, families or people with brain cancer with GBM, they don't have the luxury of time. Yeah. But the boards and the organizations usually move at a glacial pace, kind of navel gazing. They want to overthink everything. So the first thing I did to give context is in the past 18 months, we've distributed and committed $11.5 million. Wow. That's more than the last 10 years combined. We've talked about this and I've heard you say this before and, and I'm jumping in because this really ties into another question that I was going to bring up later. But you're touching on a very necessary topic when it comes to the pace at which other foundations and organizations are moving very admirably. Everybody is fighting for the same goal. But here you are mentioning that you've raised over $11 million just in the last couple of years to truly impact brain cancer, where do you feel the obstacles are in dealings with some of these nonprofits and the way nonprofits seem to function when it comes to raising funds and then where they're distributed to? When I first took over, I reached out to every brain cancer charity in the US and the UK and Australia. And I said, I'm new to this. I just want to collaborate. I don't really care who gets the credit. Let's just work together. Out of the 30 charities I reached out to, there was no takers. Yeah. And what I found is that it's typically a family honoring a loved one that they lost. So there's the emotional connectivity, which I get. 
But what I was trying to explain using my banking background is that if 30 of us all have AP systems, we all have accountants, we have all backend systems, what if you leverage my backend system, my Salesforce, you can save more of your money and use it for your mission. But let's just work together. And I find that there's usually two types of charities. One that will onboard it and say, okay, you know what? That makes sense. Let's just work together because all of us going the same direction makes far more sense than all of us putting in a million, two million and going in different directions and getting no progress. But I do find the majority, they're very competitive, very competitive with each other, which I find is counterintuitive because that's not what's best for the brain cancer community. Right. That's not what's best for people with GBM. People with GBM want us to work together, support each other, elevate, lift everyone up, let the watermark all go up. But I find it's always competitive. It's like the Yankees and the Red Sox or the (laughs) Cowboys and the Eagles, right? And I keep telling people, you need to focus on what is the why. Why are you doing this? Mm -hmm. And you're doing this because of the people that are afflicted in the families. You got to put the ego aside. Who cares? Who cares? Do you think that that competitiveness, do you think that that is American driven? Do you think that that's an inherent kind of cultural aspect of the way Americans live? Or have you found that globally that that's been an issue? It's not an American specific. So I'll give you. So I've lived in London for eight years, the Middle East, Asia, Australia. You know, I've worked through, you know, I actually counted 46 countries I visited. It really comes down to the DNA of non for profits. Wow, just in general. Yeah, they feel as there's a finite sources of funds and everybody wants to compete for it. But what I try to explain to people is that there's 8 billion people in the world. There's enough for all of us to succeed together. Mm-hmm. We don't need to all be competing. That's wasted energy. It's inefficient use of time. We should focus our time on what's important. How do we get treatments? How do we support the brain cancer community? How do we educate and get awareness? Because mm-hmm. one thing that I find is that brain cancer, what I try to do, and you know this, Shannon, through Game on Glial, mm-hmm. I try to keep the awareness up. I don't care how I get it, articles, whatever. Because people won't give if they don't care. And they're not going to care if they don't know. So I try, even when I'm talking to my Uber driver, go to the (laughs) grocery store, I'm like, you know about brain cancer. Because the more people who know, the more people who care, and in turn will give. But it needs to be consistent. It's not just static, oh, I'm going to just kind of raise awareness now. Right. That's kind of the reason why I'm doing the South Pole. I got no, I, like, I am so out of shape, but I want to do something that's, it's two things that we're, we're it's the first time a brain cancer CEOs doing this. But more importantly, you know, the Shen, when people do fundraisers, they do it for their own charity. Yeah. I'm doing it for 10 other brain cancer charities. We are going to talk about this. So for all of our listeners who are wondering what this is, don't you worry. We're going to dive into that a little bit more. Let me jump on this for a second. In dealing with all these nonprofits, in meeting so many, and as you've moved into or are slowly moving into the U.S. with an affiliate office, which we mentioned at the top of the show, you have also been meeting with nonprofit organizations and helping to come on as the chair and be outspoken for other organizations, which has, trust me, I have heard, (laughs) has baffled a lot of... They're very just surprised because, well, doesn't he have his own foundation? So that mentality definitely is, it's breaking boundaries. It really is breaking through stigma and old schools of thinking when it comes to nonprofits. You've also got a background in cultural diversity. You have lived in a million different places and diversity drives a lot of what you do and is very fundamental to the work that you do. And it's something that's very important to me. Do you think that that background, do you think that that diversity can impact leadership? And what does leadership mean to you? How do you feel that good leadership 
versus bad leadership can truly impact the way nonprofits see things going forward, especially when it comes to tackling something so obscure and so difficult, such as brain cancer. My role as a chairperson is really to empower the CEO, the management team, and really support them. No matter what it is, try to give them guidance. Luckily, a lot of the organizations I support, I can use my banking background, how to use payment gateways, how to leverage risk management and operational management best practices. Mm -hmm. So really to support the team, not to micromanage. Right. That's an important point, Shannon, because I find a lot of boards, they show up once a quarter and they're going to try to micromanage the management team. (laughs) You know what I'm talking about. I do because I've chaired many boards myself. (laughs) Correct. But... What I also have been pushing for is that why are all the boards not diverse? And what I mean by diverse is diverse in mindset. They're usually typically commercial, corporate, successful people. But what I've told people that listen is that I was very successful too. But the DNA and the ecosystem of non-for-profits are completely different. The corporate culture is different. What works for a for-profit doesn't always translate to Mm non-for-profit. And I think... I always, since 2016, if your viewers Google me, I've won a lot of diversity awards because I truly believe even in today's society, I still experience up until today, unconscious bias. Oh, you don't act Asian. You know, I hear all these things, Hmm. but I think it's important to have your management team and your board be diverse, ethnically, gender, mindset. Mm -hmm. Ultimately, the community you serve is diverse. They're not all homogenous. They're not all 80 years old or 70 years old and, you know, successful. That's one thing fundamentally I find that many times, and not always, Mm -hmm. people join boards because they want to tell their friends at the country club, oh, I'm on this board, I do. It's window dressing. (laughs) It's not substance. Right. And I always tell people, Why do it? If you're doing it just to window dress to make yourself feel better, Mm -hmm. then don't do it because that's insincere. And that's why I used to tell people, I don't think your listeners would understand how much hate on social media I get for trying to help people with cancer. Yeah, yeah. That's the sad reality is that we're in a culture where people oftentimes, when they go through, you know, trials and tribulations, or they go through something that's really impacted by cancer, mm-hmm. there's really three ways you can go, like with you and myself. You know, you go through a tragedy, you try to elevate and lift up everyone with positivity. Yep. You know, what you do with Glam on Glee. Yep. There's a big majority that also just get negative, they get cynical, they're always trying to break people down. Mm-hmm. And then there's the other people that are just indifferent and do nothing. Right. I always think, you know this, running your own business, you need a high level of positive energy, especially what we're doing. Yeah. So for me, it's really just trying to push people. Don't just talk about it. Mm -hmm. Do something about it. Do you think that your form of leadership, the style that you approach, so I can, I've written so many articles about leadership style for so many different clients. And the one thing I've learned over years of doing this is that there is a difference. There is a fundamental difference in leadership style. And the leaders that are willing to communicate, to have an open door policy, to break barriers, to invest in their employees and the people they surround themselves with, but also to uplift exactly the kind of work that you're doing. You're making some people uncomfortable because you're pushing boundaries and you're breaking down the status quo. But at the same time, you're also opening that door for dialogue and communication and education. 
Do you think that that leadership style, that it will ultimately, that working with these nonprofits and this constant communication and talking about it and and elevating this discussion around brain cancer, that this is what it's going to take to really move that needle to find better treatments and, and to ultimately find the cure that we're also desperately fighting for? Well, what I tell all my naysayers is that what you've done in the past 30 years done anything. <laughs> oh, I'm sure that gets a great response. <laughs> I hear it all the time. People telling me, oh, your team's not dynamic. Oh, you know, there's always something negative to say, mm-hmm. right? But I always tell people there's variables I can control. Yeah, I can control my effort. I can control my ethics. I can control my morals. I can control what I can be responsible for. What I can't control is other people's views. I can't control that when I'm challenging the status quo, people feel uncomfortable. Right. The easiest way to offset that is just, oh, He's doing something wrong. You know, it, it, people always like to break down things that are different. Mm-hmm. But what I'm trying to highlight is just because my approach is not the same as everyone else, I really don't care about anything other than the brain cancer community and getting results. I love that. If your vision is anything other than that, mm-hmm. then we're misaligned. Right. That's a you problem. Yep. And sometimes I feel that people are so afraid of shaking things up. Mm-hmm. But shaking things up is not a bad thing because if the common denominator is that the past 30 years, nothing has changed, then nothing's working. Right. So I am relentless. I don't care. I don't care if people tell me, oh, your team's not good enough or you need. I don't care because my role as CEO is to empower my team. There's many times I see CEOs, they just dictate. This is the way it's going to go. You've met Helen and Don. And yeah. a lot of times I don't agree with them, but I think it's important to have open loop communication. So I may not know something, mm-hmm. but I got to support them right. because they're closer to it. Yep. And at the end of the day, all I care about is every quarter when I sit down with the community, they say, well, that's, you're going in the right direction. That's all I care about. Mm-hmm. I enjoy spending time with the community. You'd be amazed, Shannon. I'm sitting in board meetings and people are saying, oh, why are you doing this? What's in it for us? I'm like, Why does it always have to be what's in it for us? That competitiveness. I've been butted up against some of the same mentalities as a previous chair for different boards that I have manned and and helmed. It comes down to the same thing. It's always us versus them. You know, we might all be in this together, but we have to win over somebody else that's doing something similar. And that mentality is what keeps us stuck. I agree with you 100%. It is a very toxic mentality. Well, it's not only toxic, it's actually counterproductive. And here's why I mean, when people come to me and say, why are you helping these other charities? What's in it for us? Mm -hmm. But I'm trying to highlight to people, why does it have to always be something in it for us? Mm -hmm. Why can't we help other people just because it's the right thing to do? I don't think people are used to that. They're not. To be that altruistic is just not what's done. (laughs) It's just not. Correct. And people are always cynical. Yeah. Why are you doing it? I'm like, I'm not here justifying why I want to help you. Yeah. You don't want my help? That's fine. Yeah. All I can do is offer my help. Whether people accept it or not, that's not my problem. I think that's truly what we're going to need to move the needle with brain cancer. I'm so glad that there are so many organizations and so many philanthropic endeavors and insurance companies that are pumping money into lung cancer and breast cancer and all of these other amazing, wonderful treatments for a ton of different cancers that are out there. But brain cancer has just gotten forgotten about. There are very few individuals that I have met over the last few years, and I have met copious amounts of people that are over the age of 65, 70, 75 years old that were diagnosed. 
the majority of patients that I speak to are under the age of 50. Oh, yeah. That's not okay. It's not okay to be diagnosed even when you're 75. But to be that young, I mean, I've had a patient on my show who was 26 when he was diagnosed. I have a close friend that was on the last season that is very near and dear to my heart now that is only in their mid-30s. My husband was only 44. Mm -hmm. It's just, you know, Cindy's daughter. I mean, she was extremely young when she was diagnosed. It's just not okay. It's not okay. And I think it's going to take leadership like yours to really push through that old narrative and rewrite the script. And I think that's what we need. I don't know if I'm doing it right, but I'm just doing it from the heart. If you're doing it from the heart and it makes a difference, you can't ask for more than that. That's what I say. (laughs) I'll give you an example. I worked an opportunity, right, to get on NASDAQ. First time a brain cancer charity. And I invite everyone, you included. Yeah, I was there. (laughs) A lot of people were asking, why did you invite all these other people? I was like, who cares? The more that we can have a multiplier effect, a force multiplier, where Shannon can talk about it on Game on Glee, Cindy can talk about Kendall Nicole. Yeah. That's the better for all of us. Yeah. This old mentality where it's always just about us. It has to be our team only. Yeah. That's the fundamental flaw. And also... I feel, you know, I have a 16-year-old and a 10-year-old. The younger generation are far more in tune with social impact, with doing the right thing. I have so much faith mm-hmm. in our future. And I, I just think that we just got to make sure that we're constantly evolving as a charity. I think we're somewhat at a pivot point where the old kind of 70, 80-year-olds are kind of getting phased out eventually, and then the younger generation can come. Mm-hmm. And that gives me a lot of optimism Because some of the old school mentality, you'd be surprised. People tell me, Lance, flexible working doesn't work. You have to have people in the office five days a week. I was like, no, we have a lot of single mothers. That makes no sense. Yeah. Is this 1955? Because last time I checked, makes no sense. (laughs) And it all depends on who they're taught by as well. Because I've met a lot of people in their 20s and 30s that have that older school mentality because they're doing their own thing and they've got this competitive nature. So it's us versus them. But it's also because of how they've been taught. On that point, every young person who does that, I give them the same guidance. Do you? (laughs) No, no, I do. I tell them, learn from me. Trust me when I tell you, it's better to work together than against each other. Yeah. Because short-term gain is not worth long-term success. Don't be too kind of narrow-minded. You've got to work together. Don't burn bridges. Yeah. At the end of the day, I can give advice, but some people just don't listen. Right. So now we talked briefly about NASDAQ. So we were there. It was an amazing moment to stand on that platform. And it was all about brain cancer awareness. But it was also for you to announce that you're opening a satellite, an affiliate office for Cure Brain Cancer Foundation here in the US. So speak on that briefly. Like, What prompted that decision? Why did you decide that you needed to have a home base here in the US? Why was that so important to you? Well, number one, I wanted to make sure that we do things differently. I'm not competing with the big organizations. I want to make that very clear. (laughs) I just want to collaborate because all Ultimately, no matter what people say, the U.S. has the best, by far, the best biotechs. Yeah. You can't dispute that. Yeah. The more we can invest in biotechs, especially phase zero, and for your listeners, I actually launched last year the world's largest phase zero biotech accelerator for $2 million. 
because I want to support the early stage biotechs. Mm -hmm. So the thesis is that our U.S. presence is really to collaborate with the Kendall Nicole Ikes, the Kim's Hope for support, but also to make sure that we can also contribute into supporting the biotechs in the U.S. That's brilliant. So they can do some, some of their trials. As you know, a lot of people don't realize doing your phase zero, phase one trials in Australia is actually very cost effective. Yeah. There's huge tax rebates. It's far cheaper. And there's just a good synergy. So for me, it was one, the U.S. is the benchmark when it comes to biotechs Mm -hmm. and also the best oncologists, the best researchers. And that's the reason why we established the presence, not to compete, but to collaborate. And part of that, if you look at our scientific advisor committee, majority of them are from the U.S. I mean, you're absolutely correct. And I've seen a number of phase zero clinical trials that have just shown tremendous progress. Mm -hmm. And I do think that there needs to be more investment and backing into those into the phase zero, the phase ones, because that is how we are going to make those leaps and bounds is by pushing those studies, those clinical trials forward. Correct. They're actually helping. I mean, I know a phase zero trial right now through Ivy Brain Tumor Center that has shown amazing promise and progress. There's a patient that I'm going to be speaking to who's three years out now because of a phase zero trial that she got in on. Mm-hmm. And she's GBM. So now you're coming over into the U.S. and you've been working steadily to increase awareness as you're coming over to really help pump money into the biotechs and to helping support some of the smaller nonprofits. But in doing this, in making this transition, and we've talked about this off air quite a bit, and I am very happy to say that I am going to be continuing to work alongside of you guys as you continue your move into the U.S. I'm very excited about that. but you are also undertaking a mission, a personal mission that we spoke very briefly on at the beginning Mm -hmm. that I promised our listeners we'd get back to, a trek to the South Pole. Let's dive into this a little bit. I want to say that I commend you, but I also think you're insane. (laughs) This is crazy. crazy. My wife wife thinks the exact same thing. So you don't have to worry. I don't take offense. Okay. Well, that's good because you know me. I also speak my mind. But I do think that this is just an amazing, amazing thing. But this is arduous. So first of all, give us an indication. Give us some idea as to why you're doing this. Like, What is the purpose and the mission of this? And then how are you preparing? Like, What kind of training is this going to involve? So let me unpack this for the listeners a little bit. <laughs> yeah. So um, in November, there was a CEO Magazine Award dinner yep. where you know, I was fortunate enough to win Executive of the Year for Non-For-Profit, but the inspirational speaker was someone who trekked the South Pole. And he was talking about resilience, about working through problems, about trying to push through quitting. And then I looked to my wife and I was like, I think I can do it. <laughs> And she said, there's no way you can do it. You're 47. You haven't worked out in 30 years. Ouch. You're out of your mind. Ouch. So I I reflected on it a little bit, but I was like, I actually think I can do it. So let's roll the tape forward. In December, I just decided, you know what, I'm going to do it. But I want to do it for a couple of reasons. One, to raise awareness. I'm doing it over Christmas, 15th of December to 4th of January. Mm -hmm. And I want to do it over Christmas because when everyone's home, they're going to be on their social media, they're going to be tracking things. And I think whatever people with GBM go through, brain cancer goes through, nothing I go through will even pale in comparison. Mm. It's really, I wanted to challenge myself, but I wanted to make sure that if I'm going to be the first brain cancer CEO to do this, I want to make sure that actually I put the hard yards in. So... 
for your listeners, I've started weight training four days a week and coming from a starting point of no <laughs> workouts, four days a week, then cardio three days a week. And that, that includes having a 45 pound weight vest dragging 90 pounds you know, behind me. I'm going to start posting some of the uh, training. I've increased my caloric intake from 1,800 to 9,000 calories per day. Wow, that is a huge adjustment. Correct. Because if I don't, when you go there, your body burns uh, calories three times as fast. Yep. I'll catabolize myself. So just so everyone knows, I'll fly out of Sydney probably mid-December to Chile. Okay. From Chile, I'll prep with my team, which will be probably a guide and also a medic. Okay. And then we'll fly over to a base camp where every day we will trek on skis for eight to 10 hours a day. Then at the end of the day, we'll pitch a tent, cook in our tent, go to sleep, wake up, pack up the tent and go again. So this is not a luxury cruise where you show up at the end and it's done. I wanted to make sure that I actually have to go through the pain. So between you, a guide and a medic. That's it. You'll start your track, just the three of you. Mm -hmm. And you'll pitch a tent every single night. Mm -hmm. You'll trek for eight to 10 hours each day. How long will it take for you to actually reach the end of the track? How many days? How many weeks? For me, I got clearance. So it's going to be roughly about 70 miles. Okay. So it'll take me roughly between 12 to 14 days, depending on weather and how much we trek every day. Okay. It'll be about 12 to 14 days, 10 hours a day. Okay. And so as part of your training, so outside of you're increasing your caloric intake, you're starting to do weight training. Obviously, there is a mental component to this. How are you emotionally or, or psychologically preparing for this or aren't you? The mental part is not the problem, Shannon. It's the physical part because I have the musculature of a three-year-old toddler. So, <laughs> um, you know, I'll, I'll just share with the listeners because, you know, just so I, I did my body scan. And I was like, thinking, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm in pretty good shape. You know, uh, reality, I'm not. <laughs> Mental, for example, as I mentioned previously, I was based in Baghdad. Mentally, I'm pretty good at managing difficult, stressful. I'm not worried about the mental side. The physical side is where I'm a bit concerned because that might be the only limitation. Okay. I need to make sure not to get injured. I have to make sure that I hydrate properly when I'm there. I eat properly. So for me, that is going to be mm -hmm. the biggest concern. But I always believe preparation is the best key. I'm planning accordingly, but yeah, I'm not worried about the mental side. I'm more concerned about the physical side because the mental, once I get kind of in my mind, I think you know me by now, but yes, I do. <laughs> once I get something in my mind, I will run through walls for brain cancer. I'll do what I need to do. For anybody who's listening, you heard him say it. He will run through walls for brain cancer. And any of you who, all of you who, we have thousands of listeners, for all of you who know me, I am the same way. So you must feel good to know that there is somebody like Lance in our corner that is really fighting this fight alongside of us. It is heartwarming to me. And I think that, you know, Mike would be looking down right now and just saying, you're damn right. This is what we needed. And that makes me feel good. I mean, it's the whole reason. I don't know if you know, Lance, but it's the whole reason that the show is called Game On, Leo. Correct. That was mine and Mike's motto. That was our fighting motto. We were going to take this head on. Mm -hmm. Game On. Game on, Cleo, bring it on. We're going to battle this. And so that was why I named this show that. So it's that same mentality. So that is very comforting. And I love hearing it. When you do this track, you're preparing between now and December. Obviously, I'm going to, I'm assuming that 
while you're there, you'll be filming little spots here and there during the track so people know how you're doing? Absolutely. Plus, I'm going to be having an animation. So there's going to be a cartoon so people can track me. My wife is going to voice the seal and also my son who's 10 is going to voice the penguin. Oh, I love it. And we're going to have this little cartoon kind of giving everyone an update. So it's a family affair. I'm looking for everyone who's going to be able to track me. And we'll have it on our site. We'll make sure everybody has, you know, we'll be, they'll be able to track you on Game on Glio. They'll be able to find all of your information. So we'll make sure we're tapped into that. Oh, no, I really appreciate that. And again, I've never done this before. So I'm sure there'll be some technical issues, but I'm sure we can work it out. So now you're doing this track. You're preparing between now and December. You're doing the track for two weeks. What is the overall goal? Is Are you hoping to raise funds? Is it just to raise awareness? Is it to bring everybody together? What is the overall goal of doing this track? Well, it's twofold. Number one, it's awareness. Mm -hmm. As I mentioned, we need to be consistent on the messaging. Right. That's number one. And I find, especially living in the UK or in the US, Christmas, everyone comes together. That's why I wanted to do it during Christmas, because I want maybe a couple people in each family say, you know what? I didn't realize that about brain cancer. I didn't realize that about GBM. I want to get involved. Mm -hmm. So that's number one. Number two is, no matter what we can raise, if we can work together to try to get it into treatments, that's only going to be an uptick. So whatever we can raise, whatever the other charities can raise, Mm -hmm. I feel confident that the charities I've selected will put it to either supporting brain cancer and GBM patients or for potential treatments. So for me, it's really twofold, raising Mm -hmm. the funds to kind of progress treatments, but also to to keep that awareness up during the holiday season. That's perfect. And it's it's a perfect time of year. And of course, obviously, we'll be running, the show will be running throughout the rest of the year, starting in May. So we will have updates for all of, our, all of you listeners. We will have updates as we go along. As you're doing this, between the South Pole track, having an affiliate office in the US, meeting with all of these other nonprofits and biotechs that are fighting brain cancer, on a personal level, very, very personal, so not outwardly, but inwardly, What are you learning? What is your personal takeaway from this transition in life that you have made from the banking industry to the nonprofit and then this dive into brain cancer, all of the people that you have met, the organizations, what have you personally learned that maybe has surprised you? Well, if I take a a step back, what hasn't surprised me is that I've always believed, you know, I grew up in kind of a middle lower class income town in Hawaii. Mm -hmm. It's always about the relationship. Right. So in banking, it's always about taking care of the client, building that rapport. Mm-hmm. When I took over this job, quite a bit of executive recruiters were saying, whatever board, they loved you, but you don't have non-for-profit background. They don't feel you're going to be successful mm-hmm. or they feel you're going to make changes too quickly, which to me makes no sense, but that's fine. I always believe that the relationship with the community, that's all I care about. Mm-hmm. If you focus on the community you serve, no matter what, if it's banking or if it's brain cancer, you will never lose Mm -hmm. because you're doing things that are important to the people you're trying to care for. That's number one. The thing that surprised me the most, which has been a bit challenging and a little bit disappointing is I always thought going into non-for-profit, everyone was kumbaya. We love each other. We're going to work together. Mm -hmm. All charities want to work together. That was a bit surprising. I'll be honest. I didn't expect that. And also quite disappointing was the mentality or the kind of antiquated thinking of boards. Mm -hmm. Because I've been on, obviously, worked with boards for for profit, and it's really about the profit Mm -hmm. and the shareholders. Mm -hmm. I thought, oh, non for profit, everyone's going to just want to move quickly, take care of the people with brain cancer. It's simple. 
or with any kind of cancers. That was another kind of lesson learned that it really isn't. And I think that's where we need to really focus on diversifying the boards Mm -hmm. and really try to kind of change the paradigm so it's not so slow moving. Right. Last two questions. Mm -hmm. Again, just very personal, but also very uplifting. Share a memory of your mom with us. What was she like? Give us a great memory that speaks to her character, to who she was. My mom was my best friend. I still look at her emails, listen to her voicemails, even five plus years later. And my best memory is that in 2015, I called my mom. I was like, mom, you've always been a big fan of Sound of Music. You've always wanted to go on this uh, tour in Salzburg to the Sound of Music. And every year she'd be like, no, no, we can do it later. But this one time, for some reason, it was August 2015. So roughly about eight months before she was diagnosed. I said, mm-hmm. let's just go, you and me. And she's like, no, 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 we can do it. I was like, no. So we went there for two and a half weeks together. We went through every site, had dinner together. And that was my best memory. So you literally went and basically traversed where this movie took place. I, first of all, The Sound of Music is one of my favorite movies. So. We went to every I, I found the tour that goes to the hill, but the hill is owned by someone else now. So you can't really technically go. Truth be told, I've never watched the movie, but my mom loved it. So, you know, that's what's important. Yeah. But we went to every place and that is my best memory. Oh, I love that. The second best memory is just being with her during her last days, right? Just to mm-hmm. thank her for everything. One of our favorite movies was E.T. Mm-hmm. And if you remember at the end when um, E.T. and Elliot, they kind of grab their hand and put it to their heart and E.T. says, I'll always be here. Yeah. Same thing. My mom, that was kind of a, one of her last days. She's like, you know, I'm not going to be here. I'm sorry, but I love you with all my heart and I'll always be in your heart. Wow. So for me, those are kind of the two most memorable things with my mother. Those are very powerful. That last one is very powerful. I can actually picture it as you're saying it. I think it's a gift. I think it's such a great gift that you actually got a chance to have those moments with her at the end and that you got to hear her thoughts and have her speak. Obviously, the one thing you know with glioblastoma is that a lot of times patients lose their ability to speak mm-hmm. or they lose their their verbal capacity, which is something that happened to Mike for a number of different reasons outside of just the glioblastoma, but where it migrated to. So it's a gift that you got to have that and that that moment, that ET moment. I think that we should all, everybody who's listening, if you have lost somebody already, I think that that's a, a great thing to hold on to is that we need to remember that they are in our heart, that they, even though they are not physically here, they are always, always with us. And that will never, ever go away. I agree. I think that's really powerful and I'm trying not to get choked up. Give us your hope in battling brain cancer. What is your hope on the horizon? For everybody who's listening. I would say my hope is one thing my mother used to always tell me is don't judge. And I would like where the brain cancer community cannot judge each other and just focus on working toward a common goal. Mm. It should be simple. We want a cure and we want to support the families until we get a cure. Yep. So my hope is that boards who listen to this, organizations start looking within to see what can you do better versus thinking that you always are doing everything right. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of challenging the status quo. Because I can do so much, but if another charity does so much and we all agree, let's change the paradigm. Let's work together. Let's be more progressive. Let's be more inclusive, Mm -hmm. not just diverse, but inclusive. Let's listen to our team. Let's listen to the community. I think that's where we can really start seeing the, the needle move is when the mindset starts changing. And I know I keep harping on that. My sample set's two and a half years. But if we can change that old mentality, Mm -hmm. 
and be a bit more collaborative and progressive and just just focus on what's important. Mm -hmm. And that's GBM and brain cancer patients. Then I think as long as we use that as our compass, we can't go wrong. We can't. Well, I think you said it best earlier when you said you work with heart and your heart is what guides you. And I think that everything that you're saying, that is absolutely true. And I think if we can all stay focused on that and we can all work with heart or fight with heart, if you are a patient or a caregiver, or if you are a doctor on the front lines, know that we are working with heart to help get you the funding that you need to develop and come up with these cures and these treatments that will get patients further out. You're absolutely right. And I think that that is the hope and that is all we need to hold on to. Lance, I want to thank you so much for joining us and giving us such wonderful insight. Let everybody know where they can follow or find Cure Brain Cancer Foundation. Again, you are slowly moving into the U.S. So we will update and have more information for everybody once that really gets going. But in the meantime, where can people find you? So number one, I first want to thank you, Shannon. Thank you so much. Thank you, Game on Glio. (laughs) You knocked it out of the park. People can find us on curebraincancer.org or soon to, this is, I'm breaking news only on Game on Glio. <laughs> We're going to be launching, the URL is going to be South Pole Trek with the number four, for cancer.org. So that will be launching soon. I'll share with you. Perfect. And that's where people can follow all the updates, all my training videos, watching me not be able to lift two pounds. So (laughs) if you want some comic relief, they can watch that because it is absolutely hilarious. That is hilarious. And I will absolutely have that information up for everybody to follow along. He is also located on Instagram. So you can find Cure Brain Cancer on Instagram, on Facebook. They have a website. Again, his bio, all of Lance's information will be on our website along with hyperlinks. We will be updating Instagram for all of you who follow us on social media. We will have all of this information as this journey continues, as the South Pole track progresses. Lance, thank you so, so very much. I am so blessed to know you, to have you in my life. You're doing amazing things and uh, I couldn't be prouder. Well, Shannon, you are a rock star. I cannot thank you enough again, but I would like to give a shout out to my MySpace page for everyone who um, grew up in the 60s. (laughs) So I have 18 followers. So please, you know, subscribe so I can get more people. There we go. You heard it. He's got a MySpace page, everybody. Everybody, he's got 18 followers. He's got to grow that. He's got to grow it. (laughs) No, but thank you so much, Shannon. Thank you so much. And for everybody who is listening, we will be right back. We get so busy with our lives, so busy with competition, with success, being the best, doing our best, keeping up with trends, keeping up with life. It has a tendency to cloud our judgment, make us lose our focus, and we forget the simplest things, the important things in life. We have a tendency to get busy, so busy with the busyness of life, that our mind becomes cluttered. If we can get the guilt out of our minds, shame, worry, the clutter, if we can get the busyness out of our minds, if we can clear all that away and make room, then suddenly we're going to have ideas, new ideas, fresh ideas, seedlings. If Lance teaches us anything from his interview today, it's that. 
so much can be accomplished. So much can be done. If we're willing to clear our minds, clear the clutter, the noise, the busyness, and allow ourselves to be open to new ideas, new ways of thinking, the seeds of an idea that get planted firmly in our minds. And when we believe in ourselves, we believe in potential. And potential is the cornerstone of life. Being open, curious to new possibilities, to new ways of doing things. That is really the essence of what this life offers us. Allowing those seeds to be planted, to firmly take hold, making room for them. That's what it's all about. And believing in that potential, allowing ourselves to be creative to new possibilities. So if you take anything away from this interview today and our episode today, it's that. Make room in your mind, in your life, in your heart. Until next time, thank you so much for joining us on the Game on Glio podcast. A proud episode sponsor for the Game on Glio podcast, Highmark Blue Cross Blue Shield of Western New York has helped millions of members since 1936 lead healthier lives. As a community-based not-for-profit health plan, Highmark Blue Cross Blue Shield invests millions of dollars each year to strengthen and enrich the health and quality of life in Western New York. Highmark Blue Cross Blue Shield provides a wide variety of health and wellness initiatives throughout our community all year long. For more information or questions on our free fitness classes and farmer's markets, contact us at communityrelations at highmark.com. You've been listening to the Game on Glio podcast, the podcast that is designed to educate, advocate, and tell the real stories of those walking the journey of brain cancers, such as glioblastoma and grief and loss. Like what you hear? Share us with others. Follow us on Instagram at Game on Glio Podcast, Facebook at Game on Glio, or visit our website or YouTube channel. You can find us anywhere podcasts are played.